You're listening to episode 304 of Sci-Fi TV Rewatch. My name's Dave, and I'm joined, as always, by my co-host, Wayne, as we continue our journey with season one, episode 11 of The Magicians, titled Remedial Battle Magic. And fortunately, we realized, or actually you realize, Skype's not cooperating. Let's not mess around, get right to the phones, and here we are. Yep. Yes. Skype is is usually a pretty fickle entity anyway when we use it. And as you know, I'm sure, as you said last week, sometimes you get my half and it's way off. And uh, I know there's times when, like, I'll say something or you'll say something and I'll go to respond and you'll keep talking. And I know, oh, it's just, you know, the, it, you know, it's not linked up very well. And so, you know, instead of trying to mess with just, we'll just go to the phones tonight and, you know. Yep. And fortunately, because of the way we record, I'm able to tweak things and, you know, so it sounds like there's no gaps and, but it's much easier when we can actually hear each other. So uh, before we go too far, though, we want to thank our Patreon patrons for their support. Uh, Fred from the Netherlands, Dan, Cindy, and Mike. Appreciate it, you guys. And uh, uh, I've tweaked the Patreon page with, uh, you know, the, the little rewards that we're offering to our patrons. So if you want to go to the Patreon page and check that out, uh, you know, I don't want to take time to read it each week. I think I read it last week or maybe the week before. So, you know, we'll... we'll present that from time to time on the podcast but uh you know if you do want to contact us the email is sci-fi tv rewatch at gmail.com or you can go to the website leave a voicemail using the leave voicemail tab and that website is sci-fi tv rewatch dot podbean dot com podbean is p-o-d-b-e-a-n somebody asked me that uh, not too long ago <laughs> um all right so uh this is really again i feel like i'm overgrading, which you've accused me of doing from time to time right but i thought this was a really good one mm, i thought it was okay okay um well maybe i'll change your mind That's, as we go that along is entirely possible okay so i won't uh, reveal my grade at this point um you know in terms of a tip of the week mine's going to be real quick because it's a follow-up when I brought up the fact that season two of the rain had dropped on Netflix and it's a, you know, post-apocalyptic virus sci-fi out of, uh, I want to say Denmark. I don't have it in front of me right at the moment. While season two was pretty good. It wasn't great. Season one, I thought was really strong. Season two followed things up. They left it hanging. So it certainly, appears they think they're getting a season three but um you know i'm gonna pull back on my my uh nomination of the rain i mean you know if you have time check it out it's only six episodes but anyway okay i've actually watched the first two episodes but of amazon's good omens have you heard of it i've seen the first four it's awesome yeah yeah it's so good uh you know, obviously, uh, they say David Tennant, I come running. So, you know, that's a gimme. But uh, great cast. Uh, so many people that are in it. It's awesome. Uh, oh, Michael Sheen yeah. is awesome. Yep, yep. And, uh, you know, I, I didn't have any familiarity with the original text, which I guess was a book that oh, Neil Gaiman, Neil Gaiman uh, co-wrote with someone else, I guess. 
or was yeah, this a um, graphic novel? I don't even know. No, he no he co-wrote it with I want to I think the guy's name is Michael Pritchard. Yeah, I, I could right, have yeah. that wrong. No, it's that's right. And, and he died, and from what I understand, this has really been one of Neil Gaiman's goals as a professional to really bring this you know to the to the small screen in a manner that would you know really do it justice yeah it's it's great so far i've only like i said i've only watched first two but i absolutely love it it's it's uh it's awesome i just wish you know, i didn't have to go to work so i could just watch it more <laughs> yeah but you know so uh well, well, yeah, and, and you know it, it follows, and you know, not to step on your territory, it follows a, a demon and an angel who've been on Earth since the beginning, and they really do become friends, even though, even though the demon is loath to admit that, and it's just really funny to watch their relationship, uh, you know, as one's trying to do good and the other's trying to do evil. But he's really and not though. like the thing. He's not very exactly. demonic, you know. Like, like exactly. I, I like when they the he's because he's got like the two hardcore demons that are sweating him, and they're like, you know, remember the fall and everything. He's just like, I didn't mean to fall. I was just hanging out with the wrong people. <laughs> well, well, right, and, and I think what happens is they both really enjoy being on earth and then when uh, armageddon is laid at their doorstep and they're supposed to follow through to bring it to fruition uh, you know they're not so sure they want that to happen right right yeah so, so, so without giving too much away yeah i think we did a pretty good job of towing the line on this one cool all right. Yeah, that's that's awesome show. Yeah, I, my wife and I uh, have been watching it the last two nights, as a matter of fact, and she loves it. And again, Neil Gaiman has his hand in Lucifer, which is another show she loves. And, you know, so we'll probably knock out the last two tonight if she wakes up. <laughs> when I came upstairs to record, she was asleep on the couch. So we'll see. I feel like yeah. she rallied. I think so. But uh, all right. Anyway, we're going to talk about episode 11 of season one of The Magicians titled Remedial Battle Magic, written by Leah Fong, who wrote 106 in Practical Applications. And she's also written a lot for Once Upon a Time, directed by Amanda Tapping. So, oh, I didn't know that. Um, there is that, that aired March 28th, 2016. And, you know, something we've brought up from time to time, I, I did notice that Jade Taylor is still guest starring. So I, I don't know what that's all about. I, I I don't know. Maybe she didn't have as much acting in her resume as the others, and they were not sure. And, and again, we haven't gone ahead, so I don't, I don't really know what's going to happen with her. But uh, obviously, I thought she was maybe done and... Fortunately, she came back. Yeah, no, so she's had that, pretty that prominent parts in the last two episodes. So, yeah, which is great. But uh, um, you know, I, I think in, in terms of what I like about this episode is that we see this two storylines, and it's almost like two dysfunctional families that are operating independently, and we don't necessarily see how they're going to connect. I, you know, we've had our theories as we've gone along in the discussion. But I, I still don't really see it. But obviously, Team Break Bills is united in the need to defeat the Beast, starts their training. And, and I guess in a lot of ways, this seems like a setup episode. But I think sometimes we call something a setup episode, and it's 
sort of uh, almost like we're denigrating it. Yeah, but I mean, especially with compared with to how much happened in the last episode, it feels like not that things didn't happen, things did happen, but you don't get the feeling that they necessarily advanced the ball a lot in this episode. There's dealing with like kind of like a lot of internal conflicts rather than there's external ones. Exactly. And and I guess for me, that's what I really like about it because again, it goes back to the whole dysfunctional family thing. I mean, Elliot is on this downward spiral of self-destruction. And I think we've always seen Margot as again, a, a self-obsessed um, beautiful woman who it's always about her and that's no longer the case and we really see a different side of her but she's helpless to try to put him on a better path and and for me that that's really uh i, I think a, a poignant aspect of this episode is watching the two of them interact sure yeah yeah you know? absolutely and, and uh well, I mean, well, I guess we'll get to the end. We'll we'll leave that for a little bit later. But, I mean, it kind of all builds up to that, you know, big moment at the end there. Yeah, I guess. But even that, you know, you're. I assume you're talking about the three of them in bed yeah. together. Yeah. And and I guess he's so drunk and drugged when he goes to bed. It's almost you wonder what exactly happened there. I mean, we get little uh, snippets of yeah, it. Yeah, we get a pretty solid idea of what happened. Oh, well, yeah, yeah, yeah. I understand that, yeah. Um, but the other thing is Alice and Quentin's relationship is experiencing difficulties even before she stumbles on the aftermath of this threesome. Right. And, and you know, it's almost like the reality of what it's like to be in a relationship with Quentin is really starting to hit home. And and I guess we could look at it from the other way because she certainly got issues herself that for him. So, so their relationship is struggling. And I, and I guess why I find this so fascinating is because all of this is taking place as they're trying to figure out, is it too strong to say, save mankind i mean um maybe i'm still trying to figure out well i guess i mean whatever i mean the beast has access to this world as it is i'm just not exactly sure what his access to everything i mean it doesn't how much worse is that going to make things well good point you know like i mean i get the beast is bad i don't know and again my missing something is entirely possible. I'm just like, always like, so what's the big deal? What are they trying to stop? And why is it taking them so long to stop it? You know, if it's so dire and crucial, you know, why, why is it just taking them so long for, you know, for one and how come, you know, like the adults aren't in on their plan if it's so dire and so crucial. So, you know, I don't know. Um, that's really not my, my, I guess, you know, criticism of this, um, which I'm not, I don't know if I really have a criticism, but, you know, I, I, with regards to Alice and Quentin, I really feel like, I mean, okay, first of all, Quentin, you are way out of your league here, bud. So, but you can't, but he acts like he's out. You know, I think that's half the problem with him is, is, you know, he's always like, so insecure and then he acts like a douche around her like 
she wants to try, you know, she wants to, and he just wants to do the easy thing, you know, and he basically is telling her that, you know, what your idea is, is dumb. I'm going to go and continue on with my idea, which is a little bit easier. Um, you keep trying to all that silly working hard stuff and everything. Yeah. I think that's really the rift because Penny wants to work on it too. And so we can see those two obviously getting drawn together now. And of course, with Quentin having the threesome with Elliot and Margo, I think this probably, to, I don't know if it's safe to say that they're Dunsies, but I'm pretty sure they're Dunsies. Well, you know, you mentioned Penny, and, and despite the Beast's onslaught on Penny, he's really hanging tough, and he means to be part of the team. And, uh, you know, S- Professor Sunderland you know, you mentioned the adults, that if, if the Beast is really this big a deal, why aren't we seeing the adults more involved? And I, I guess I feel like they probably are. It's just behind the scenes. But we see Sunderland playing more of a role in the fight. And, and I certainly like the fact that she's willing to break the rules to help. She gives that little device to uh, Penny so that he can I, – I guess it wouldn't really stop the voices, but I, I guess certainly uh, – It helps him deal with them a little bit better. It helps like him deal. Now – um, I don't know if it's that I've been watching too much Buffy the Vampire Slayer and reading too much because I've gotten back into Buffy. I, I left off at the end of season four and I've picked up. I had some more time and I've picked up with season five. And so much of Buffy is metaphor. And I'm wondering, I mean, is the beast a metaphor or is it something that even if it is, we're not going to really put it together until we're further into the series i mean is it a metaphor for the dark side of human nature because certainly uh plover and and at this point conventional wisdom tells us that plover is the beast but uh, as well you no and I conventional said, wisdom uh, tells us he's definitely not since the right. characters are so uh so assured that he is right, right. and and that's what i was going to say that that because it seems so obvious that he's not and then of course you and i as we said last time we ended up inadvertently getting spoiled about the identity of the beast but still even even, that makes sense and we're not going to say who it is at this point but it does make sense even though it's not plover the the person that it is makes sense yeah yeah but also i mean even if i didn't inadvertently find that out i would definitely have you know not I would not be thinking it's plover at this time. I, I just, I, like, like I said, cause it's just, it's too obvious. It's too neat. And you know, you know, there's gotta be some big twist as to who it is. So, right. Um, so the beast is targeting travelers. Is, is it just to prevent them from coming to Fillory or revealing his identity or, I mean, did we didn't really find out. I mean, I guess that's just speculation. Yeah, well, this goes back to what is he actually trying to do and why is that such a big deal? Apparently, the Travelers, because they can move between worlds, are in a position that they can stop him, I guess. Okay. And before they can stop him, he's going to try to stop them, obviously. Yeah, it looks like he's doing a pretty bang-up job of it, actually. Yeah. Now, do they have to go through Neitherland to get the Fillory? I, I guess I thought, on the one hand, maybe Penny's the only one that really knows the answer to that. But, I mean, is Neitherland 
going to, you know, I think we said last week, is it going to still play a role? And, and, you know, they mention it this time, but I'm wondering if it's one of those deals that they've got to go through it to get to Fillery, even though it didn't seem like Penny well, did that last time. Yeah, didn't Quentin went directly from Earth to Fillery, right? That's what I thought. Yeah, like in the first episode. So I thought they they because they, they yanked him straight there. So again, I don't know. It's I mean this is like part of part of the problem I have with this is all this goofy stuff that they can just kind of like you know any plot hole that they create for themselves they can just come up with magic fixes it. Oh, it's a magical thing. You know, like I'm not saying they don't have a plan. Obviously, they do have a plan for this, but it's just like you know. I start to get irritated when they just cover over deficiencies of the plot with magic. Was there something in particular you're thinking about? Well, just this whole thing about like, you know, moving between worlds and everything, you know? Okay. Well, I guess I feel like we'll get more clarity as we go on. Now, I I guess you could say that we've only got two episodes in season one to go, so they better pick up the pace a little bit. And I think that's a, a reasonable criticism, but, Team Beowulf with Katie and Julia, I I really do love how they've started coming together. And we get that one scene where they're, uh, I think it's when they went to track down, uh, you know, that I guess she turns out to be some sort of a a creature or whatever. And the two of them are, the two of them are holding hands even, um, you know, almost just to, to buoy each other up. But, I mean, both of them feel isolated, which certainly explains their joining Team Beowulf. And I just wonder how long it's going to be until they realize that Richard's kind of off the rails. Again, unless I've missed something, this is all about him going back for a redo with his baby that died in the car. Well, right. But there's also all the other people there have something that they want to turn back the clock. Though I don't know... The cancer person. I'm not. I'm not sure exactly what going back in time. I don't know how that's going to help her. Well, exactly. That's what I was wondering about. And and the other ones. I I think they might have mentioned in passing what it is. But again, as we said a number of times, when you go back to try to fix things, there are unintended consequences. <laughs> it rarely ends the way you think it's going to end. So I'm just wondering whether the two of them will realize that and perhaps divorce themselves from Richard's team. But we do get that introduction of magical creatures, and I love how it's almost presented in a way, well, yeah, of course there are vampires yeah. and demons and witches and uh, you know, things like that. That Okay, yeah, I mean, and, and look, I mean, we're certainly not going to criticize the introduction of that because we spent five seasons podcasting about lost girl right, which right. was essentially the same thing well, well if, I, if i could take a brief side note here because it just remind me something i wanted to discuss because when you had said they weren't making any more supernatural i thought you meant that this past season was it so i was finally able to watch it on because it dropped on netflix recently and then i got to the last episode i'm like well that sucks they knew that the se- the series was ending how, how did they because it still is kind of a you know up in the air cliffhanger type thing and then i went and saw that oh next season will be the last one. Oh, okay so because i was i was i was like hey that's kind of daring to go there and end like that without any 
really any resolution at all. But uh, but no, they got another twenty episodes. So sorry about that. Okay, and and then I like the the parallel. Team Break Bills is looking for a way to get to Fillory to confront the Beast, and now Julia has a journey to find the man near the bridge, which we'll you know talk about when we talk about her story. But I guess I liked the the really the character reveals and and you know if you want to call it development i think that's fair to say but as we've said look team break bills is trying to get into fillery defeat the beast we see that opening and this is really a dense episode and i had to go as i often do and find a transcript of the episode because after i keep rewinding and listening again and taking notes i'm like screw this i'm just gonna go find the transcript um you know this whole idea of following martin into fillery and of course quentin's explaining that martin got a line on an enchanted knife powerful enough to tear through the fabric of magic itself kill a god and now that knife becomes the focus of I, I guess their journey into Fillory as if this knife is what's going to enable them to kill the beast. Right. So I, I, here's where I, so like they, they, they're going to find the magical knife, but then they're practicing like battle magic. So um, like, I guess I look at battle magic as simply in addition to using the knife that, that they're going to have to use battle magic to, contend with all of the magic that the beast is going to throw at them and and i think at this point we'd have to say the beast is much more powerful than any individual is and maybe even then the whole group is and and obviously this episode was a lot about them learning how to use and control battle magic but yeah as you said it it, it does seem to, to maybe not make sense. I guess I feel like the battle magic allows them to get close enough to the beast to use the knife. Yeah, I guess. Right. But then there's the button, which again, still confuses me a little bit. Uh, Margot suggests giving the button to the beast as, as part of a, uh, some sort of a, uh, appeasement is what it is. Right. Dave appeasement. Right. They learned nothing the from key- history. Right, because handing the key to the multiverse to a monster is a good idea, Quentin reminds her, Um, which, again, I thought was a great line, and I was glad that Quentin got to say it. But, but yeah, and it also, I guess, verifies what we've been talking about, that this clearly is a multiverse, and I don't know that we necessarily had to have that to verify. But, you know, you had mentioned earlier that um, Elliot, Alice, and Margot vote to attempt to strike a deal as opposed to Penny and Quentin, which oppose it. And I think at that point, as you said, uh, appeasement never works again, you know, learn your history. Well, and I guess again, the rift between Quentin and Alice is that when she, you know, it just appears like it's two on two versus two and she's the tie breaking vote. And she votes with, you know, Elliot and, and Margot. And I think Quentin feels a little betrayed there. So that's kind of like the first little chink in their relationship that, you know, as we see it kind of deteriorate more and more throughout the episode. Right. Now, I I, I really didn't care for, you know, the scene where 
you know, they walk into the classroom and there are dead bodies lying all over the place. And then we realize, okay, at first we think, oh, it's a dream, but they're running probability scenarios to explore different ways to defeat the beast. And in each scenario, the beast kills them all, uh, except one where it, it just, they, I think they describe it as just being white, which, well, what does that mean? But in each scenario, the beast comes next week. Uh, yeah. I forget which one of them says it. So obviously we're pressed for time at this point. This is the point at which we really you know, recognize how the voice of the beast in Penny's head is really affecting him. And, and later, I mean, he, he just basically tries everything from alcohol to, I assume that's Coke he's snorting. Uh, uh, it appears... Um, whatever to try to just to drown it out to dull it and and none of it helps really and and we find out that joe killed himself right which then takes us back why are they using a payphone yeah (laughs) right well i I mean i I guess no cell phones in break bills i don't know have we seen a cell phone in there you know what i was just thinking i don't know if we've seen a cell phone so, all right, that's interesting. I mean, we don't really see we don't really see them in the street. You know, very often with shows, you can kind of get a sense by looking at the automobiles of right. what time period we're in. Well, I, f- I feel so, like there's been cell phones in the show. I just don't know if I've seen one yet inside brake pills. Right. Now, Penny goes to see Stanley, and... I, you know, now I'm starting to feel like, uh, geez, maybe Wayne is right about this episode because you know, he goes to Stanley. <laughs> yep, that's and, problematic. And, st- and it's like, yeah, I, I figured out a way, and and you know, there's no way he can control me anymore. Shotgun to the mouth, pulls the trigger. I'm like, wait a minute. Yeah, yeah. That's the answer. Yeah. Right, but and it, like, why do you wait till Penny got there before doing it? I could have done this ages ago, but I figured I'd wait for you to get here so I could dramatically shoot myself through the mouth uh, while you were right in front of me. So congratulations. What I do like is the fact that it really does speak to the strength that Penny has. And I know I referred to Team Breakbills as a dysfunctional family, and I do believe they are, but it is a family. And I, I think a lot of his strength does come from the others even though he's reluctant to admit that he needs anybody else and and i think one of the things in this episode and sunderland tells him if somebody is offering a hand take it yeah and and the fact that he's willing to i I, again I, i really think pushes his character forward quite a bit maybe more so than the others i mean you know elliot if anything is going backwards and regressing right um and i mean at this point somebody's got to move forward and and I, I i find it very interesting that it is penny despite everything that's happening to him yeah, well penny but, and alice because they are you know they're they are trying to grow well the other three are you know taking i'm not saying the easy way but it's like this shortcut you know, of where you bottle up your feelings so you can do the battle magic. But Penny and Alice are putting in the work to try and figure out. Now, that being said, Katie did tell them it's taken her like 10 years to learn this stuff. So, right. you know, I, I guess 
you know, maybe Quentin and Elliot and Margo are kind of justified in saying, listen, we don't have 10 years. The beast is going to be here in a week. So you two are pissing about trying to learn battle magic on your own where we need to be practicing because this is happening now, not 10 years from now. We don't have time to, you know, go the Zen path. What if we got guns? Yeah. Margo, Margo asks. And, <laughs> and then I'm sure it's Quentin that has this explanation. Well, you can't take guns into Fillory. I'm thinking like, why not? Yeah. It's this pristine place. Yeah, that the beast is inhabiting. Right, right. Which, which they point out to him. Right. So, uh, you know, but to get back to Katie for a second, I wonder if a little bit of that is hyperbole that, yes, it took her a while to learn battle magic. But, you know, I mean, meditate every day for 10 years or uh, whatever she says. But, but again, we understand that she's still smarting from what happened to her because we could argue it really wasn't her fault. She was placed in an untenable situation. Break bills perhaps could be a little more understanding. Uh, you know, things happen to people and, you know, that wasn't the case. And, you know, so, so I think maybe that's a little bit of it, but. Uh, yeah. Well, I, I think, you know, I, well, obviously no, there, there isn't anyone who would condemn Katie for the path she's on. You know, there, it, it was a series of events that were not of her own doing um, that she's paying for her, her mom's sins or whatever. So, and, and yeah, break bills is not a second chance kind of place, right? We already saw that with Jules and now we, we see that with Katie. So, you know, this to me is like kind of the short, one of the shortcomings of break bills. Right. It's not a forgiving institution. I, I forget who says that. But at the end of the scene, though, where they all go to Julia's apartment because they're looking for Katie, Julia's not there, but Katie answers the door. And then we get that that real quick scene at the end because, you know, Katie wants to know how Penny is. Quentin wants to know how Julia is. And Fred brings up the quote, and I'll, I'll hold off on that, but it's really a poignant quote that, again, it's easy to miss and I think Fred even points that out, that he had to go back and, and re-listen to it. But I don't want to say out of left field for Quentin, but kind of. But I'm okay with him. You know, It's not that he's not a thoughtful person. So that I guess that's not fair because he is thoughtful. They're out in the woods, and I think this is what you were talking about with Penny and Alice really trying to hone their battle magic skills. But, but even before, it's just the, the two of them. And... And that pink liquid in the vials, that's what confused me. That's what I had to go back several times and get a handle on. I don't know, I don't know if you picked it up right away, what the deal with that was. Well, I assumed that what they were doing is you know, before they do it, they put their emotions, their feelings in the bottle. And then when they're done, they return them. But because their emotions have been, quote, unquote, bottled up for so long it's like they go crazy right so is the idea that to really do your best battle magic you have to lose your emotions yeah that's what okay that's what katie told him basically okay now 
you mentioned the threesome and, and, you know, that's how this aspect and actually this is how the episode ends, but this aspect of the story. So, you know, we get to the end there and Elliot is just totally out of it. Margot and Quentin are trying to just get him into bed so he can fall asleep. And Quentin's even grabbing one of his legs and we step and, and they finally push him into bed and Margot and Quentin lie down on the bed and it seems pretty clear that something's going to happen between the two of them right oh, yeah. well and, here we and, are in this bed and Elliot's passed out whatever is going to happen right so i mean what's the deal with that i mean i understand Margot is probably really frustrated with elliot because she feels like he just doesn't care about their relationship anymore and well, here, here's the thing that I found about Elliot, because I didn't know whether Elliot was getting his feelings back after he bottled them up. Like, the second time I watched, he did, or at least he looked like he drank it, drank it but Elliot, uh, without his feelings, was pretty much the same as Elliot with his feelings. Okay, and, and that... Well, to right, and that might be, you know, uh, related to just the the depths to which he's really fallen. And and again, I guess we go back to what happened with Mike. But at, at some point, he, he's going to have to turn things around if he can turn them around. I, at this point, he does not seem to be at all concerned with turning things right. around. Right. So. Uh, you know, they're back there. Uh, she even tells him, Margot, that is, that one of the things she likes about Quentin is that he really loves magic. That the rest of them, you know, they they know magic is real, but he loves it. And it, it leads her into what she says about uh, Elliot, that maybe Fillory can fix him. He's really not okay, but he just doesn't care. And... There's a lot more wrong with him than just a broken leg. And just this, this helplessness, that, helplessness that she's feeling, I, I don't know that with everything else going on related to the beast, how anything's going to change to enable Elliot to play a part. It's almost like they just need to leave him behind because he's not going to do them any good. Well, but also he's the one who's already used this battle magic well besides well, Penny, um you know he's he's actually done it so you know he's probably just for that fact alone he's probably a pretty valuable member of the well, team if he can get clean at all but uh you know and, th- and then we get the scenes the yeah. next morning uh you know elliot wakes up uh, i'm sorry uh quentin wakes up and looks over right. and he's next to Elliot, and then he looks further over in the bed, and there's Margot. And the next thing you know, the final shot is Alice standing there, fully clothed, looking down on them. And you said at the beginning of the discussion, you think this is it for their relationship. Yeah, he's got some splaining to do, that's for sure. Yeah, I mean, he could obviously explain this away, but I mean, the the show is clearly, you know, shipping her and Penny at this point, and. And and you know, obviously this is just drives a big wedge, and you know, and and, and drunk on feelings or, or not, you know, I mean, 
Quentin's in that bed with Margo, and you know, like, yeah, you know, he he probably should have just been like, yeah, I gotta go. So, you know, like you know, by that situation, you know that there's some could happen here. So it's like, well, I either hang out and see how this plays out, or I or I jet, you know, and be the good boy. And of course, you know, how many times we make the decision to jet and be the good boy? Not generally, but um. <laughs> like never, right? <laughs> <laughs> but he had that chance, so, you know. Um, so yeah, I don't know. I just I just feel like they, and especially, and you know what? Honestly, I'm starting to feel like I never really. I mean, I mean, Alice is just she's just gorgeous, first of all, and I think she's probably the one of the more mature characters, and one of the characters who does things for others rather than for herself. I think all the others are are very selfish people but alice not so much you know um so i like i think she could do but i don't know if penny is the better that she could do but uh i think she could do better than quentin so i'm not necessarily broken up that that particular relationship could could be at an end because quentin and uh, like i said i mean just on the one hand i get why quentin would kind of disparage her idea but on the other hand as any male or any female or anyone in a relationship knows, um, you know, there's some give and take and you have to support, you got to be there to support your partner, you know, for better or worse. Even if, if that person is dead wrong, you know, I mean, my wife, she might, and she's gone crazy at times and I think she's totally wrong, but I'm still going to have her back. You and know? I just wonder whether these relationships can withstand, the tension that is about to hit them with even more force than it's already hit them. I mean, they're just at the preparing stage. So who knows what's going to happen once they actually yeah. uh, go into full scale battle. But I just feel like they're all going to have sex with each other you know, by the we'll time see, this thing's but, all uh, said and done. Free trader Beowulf you know. is trying to contact the gods, I guess, to learn how to turn back time. And, and you know, this, this is something if I could turn back time, yeah, it's been a while. If I could find a way, All right, but sorry. you know this whole idea of gods living amongst us. I mean, you've got uh, Neil Gaiman's American Gods. The uh, yes, I, I always want to say the Brothers Johnson, but it's the Almighty Johnsons. <laughs> um, yes. You know, and I, I'm sure there are others that I'm just forgetting. But um, you know, Richard's fixation about petitioning the gods. And Julia, we learn, is apparently God touched, and God touched. And yeah, I I think we can look at that in a lot of different ways, but certainly, I think it's fair to say that Breakbills made a mistake not accepting her into their program. If or well, if they? they're going by talent alone, and of course that may right. not be all that they're doing break bills has apparently been doing this for a long time. So perhaps they, they know what they're doing, but yeah, you think they would have a, you know, God touch test or something like that. But there's also the thing that maybe the path that she's on now is the path she was supposed to follow. And that being in break bills would not be the best thing for her. Or I mean, you almost get this very fatalistic sense of things playing out that, that things are happening for a reason 
uh, things are happening as they're meant to happen. So, you know, if you take that fatalistic approach, then not getting into brake bills was exactly what had to happen for Katie. So I'm not sorry, Katie, um, for Jules, so she could find herself where she is right, right. at this moment. And basically what she's now been tasked with, you know, in, in, for the group is to find a God that they can then petition to help them. And they go to a party, she and Katie, and they're looking for Bjorn. Did you recognize Bjorn? So, I mean, I, I recognized him insofar as I was like, who I know, I know that guy. So I am beat. I'm like, hey, Julian. Julian from what? From Blood Drive. Yeah, okay, from okay. But he's also Pope in Falling Skies. The guy with the real what? long hair that was a real dick all the time. Yeah, no, I know. Yeah. Get out of town. Yeah. Are you serious? Yep. yep. No way. So I thought it. I did not know that. That is crazy. I like because I was like super into blood drive. I never even thought that that guy was Pope from from Fallen Sky. That yeah, is insane. So I, I thought it was fascinating that he's a vampire in in this episode, and of course we know him from Blood Drive. Not that he was drinking blood; he's using the blood to run his car. Uh, well, he wasn't, but um, the pe- right. I feel like he probably drank <laughs> right. blood at some point. That show was crazy. I loved right. it, but, but it's crazy. Uh, you know, he's kind of jerking them around a little bit uh, after they tell him that they're looking for a god to petition. Next thing you know, they're in some grubby basement when they encounter Katie's mom, who obviously we know is dead. They know she's dead. And again, it's almost like it's easy to miss the mirror image where we see you know, the, the creature that's exhibiting this likeness of Katie's mother, but, you know, it's got a tail, but it's a, it's a Lamia, L-A-M-I-A, which in Greek myth is a woman who became a child-eating monster after Hera took her children because, of course, Zeus was having an affair. And, yeah. Oh, Zeus. But, again, <laughs> is this creature a goddess? Is this who they're really looking for? Uh, yeah. No, because they need her to connect them to, and like, were they like interchangeably using God and gods? You know, I'm not sure. I, I'm not sure either. I just it, it seemed like at some point they were just using the one, something they were using the many, but either way. So I didn't know how to even put it in my notes, but yeah, you know, they. So we'll just say they through this creature they hope to be able to communicate. With the divine. Right. I mean, they certainly are talking about the gods with a small g and maybe even God with a small g. But then again, I forget again who it is that says, you know, the gods are no more. God is dead, which then, of course, is a reference that, right. you know, I guess started in the 60s, maybe, that uh, um, is, is mentioned here as well. Richard, yeah, like the 1460s, you know, I think. <laughs> Richard calls the woman a bitter, half-starved monster, who he says has been abandoned by the gods. But he's convinced, you know, he's he's convinced himself, and he's trying to convince the others that the gods are still out there. We just have to find them. And then the the scene that's a little bit confusing to me is that Julia's in her bathroom praying, and I thought perhaps to the Virgin Mary. Uh, she says, I want to do good. She and Katie, you know, when they're looking for that woman, she 
has that can. I'm not sure what it was, a can of beer or whatever, but she wipes away the dirt, and it looked like it was the same image. And according to IMDb, it's Our Lady Underground, which I don't think is actually a thing in the Catholic Church, but, you know. I, I'm not I'm not necessarily the best Catholic, but I have not heard of such a thing. Yeah, yeah, me either. But, um, you know, th- this whole... I mean, what is it that brought her to the point that she now abandons magic to pray to God or the gods or whatever it is, you know, some sort of a spiritual entity. And, you know, she does apparently get an answer because she hears a voice, goes into the kitchen, the light streaming in, the woman in the white gown appears Everything has served to pull you closer to me. Right? Nothing you've done has been wasted. So in a sense, it really validates all the pain she's experienced after getting rejected at break bills and, mm-hmm. and you know, all of these uh, little mini journeys to get her uh, to be a part of Team Beowulf. But then she's given a mission, Right. Uh, yeah. find me near the bridge. There's a man who served me a thousand years, bring him three gifts. He'll show you the way. Well, so, I mean, there's a couple of things there. I mean, first of all, she says she's not religious a couple of times here, and then she ends up praying, which is obviously kind of contradicts what she said before. But, um, you know, so why she does that, where she, how she gets to that point. I'll, I don't know if it's saying, I don't want to say it's out of desperation, but just like, you know, I don't know. I, I, I guess it's like, it, it, it's supernatural. I say, you know, we know God exists. We've talked to him. We know there are angels. We know there are demons. So it's kind of like that thing. Like if you find out that, well, these things are real, then, well, uh, that certainly helps faith quotient i guess whatever but but yeah you know it's well you know at first i I thought like oh well that's that's kind of cool because it's like not magic but then i'm like well wait is it is it not magic because maybe it kind of is magic you know so well i mean it speaks to her desperation but i don't think it's the desperation that she's not able to help richard in his quest i i think she really could care less about Richard's quest. And I think the more she finds out really what it is they're all trying to do, I have to believe she and Katie are going to walk away from it at some point. And yeah, yeah, I, I totally know. agree because, you know, again, we talked about getting kicked out of break bills. I mean, it seems like she's learning actually a lot more, you know, with uh, the Beowulf group than she w- would have been learning. At break, she seems to be really advancing way more quickly than Quentin is. Right. And I mean, it's it's almost like a, a totally different curriculum. And given what we know about the Beast and, and the upcoming battle, it certainly seems as if what Katie and Julia have been doing would benefit break bills. But uh, I just wonder if we're going to get to that point by the end of season one. I, I don't because well we got two more episodes yeah no I don't think so yeah so uh, anything else you want to mention before we listen to Fred's feedback um no I don't think so okay all right well let's take a listen to Fred from the Netherlands and then we will be right back 
Hello Dave and Wayne, this is Fred from the Netherlands with some feedback for The Magicians, Season 1, Episode 11. You heard what I did there? The Netherlands. Well, the Netherlands are a sort of the Netherlands. The Netherlands. And that is? The Netherlands are sort of the place between all of the places. It's how you get from A to B. And that is a little bit true for the Netherlands as well. A lot of people going through the Netherlands, just as Doug Crabtree recently did on its way to Scandinavia. And of course, the Netherlands is a big trading country. We had one of the largest harbors in the world. Of course, that's now one in Asia. Having a lot of transport of goods and trade, uh, going stuff from over the ocean through the Netherlands to the big German industry areas. So, going from A to B. You come through the Netherlands. And from history, there is a great trading history in the Netherlands. And as you know, in the United States, there are some Dutch called places like Nassau or New York, first being New Amsterdam, etc. And that's for a very small country. There are just a few uh, US states that are smaller than the Netherlands as a country. Only smaller are Rhode Island, Delaware, New Jersey, Vermont, New Hampshire, Connecticut and Maryland, which is the closest in size. And all other US states are larger or much larger than the Netherlands. Okay, enough geography. First off, last podcast you said, Dave. The other thing I didn't think of, and, and Fred brings up the Margot Margolem cloning story, and, and of course Fred has mentioned many times he's a huge Orphan Black fan, as are we. Uh, it's one of those shows. Uh, well, you know, it did get four seasons, so I'm not going to say how could they not support it. I mean, how many shows get four seasons these days? Really, Dave? Four seasons? Whereas the fifth and final season of Orphan Black was so, so cool. Okay, enough about other stuff. Getting into the Magician's episode. There was one quote by Quentin that was said so fast, I really had to listen again what he meant. But then it was quite funny. You know, that's not how it works. Giving a shit about someone that you give a shit about doesn't just evaporate the second that they f*** up. So why don't you just admit that you want to ask me about Penny? When he then finally tells Katie how Penny is doing, she's teared up. But we only see that in a fraction of a second. But I wondered why. Because he just hears news about Penny and is happy. Or that Penny is doing well and she's happy about that. Or she's not happy at all and she's actually not believing Quentin. And know he's lying and realizes that Penny is not doing well at all. Nice scene change, by the way, than when Quentin says... Yeah, he's extra broody. You know, it's a penny, he's fireproof. It's like cockroaches, he'll survive the nuclear winter. And then we see Penny uh, really, really in a bad shape. I have one question about Margot uh, giving an expression. I wonder if this is a regular expression, slang expression for women, or is just Margot-typed expression, and therefore funny. Give us the Cliff's notes. Fine. Meditate every day for like a decade. And spells only work if you channel 100% clean. Great. So we're stuck with our dicks in our hands. I like the whole setting with the emotions in a bottle. And I think the actors played it very well when they excluded their emotions uh, from their battle training. 
and also played it very well when the emotions came back after drinking uh, the stuff from the little bottle and it really hit them. And after this hits them, uh, Quinton and Elliot are so drunk and wasted in front of the fireplace and they land up finally in bed with Margot. I really wonder what happened there, perhaps not so much, although some flashes give the impression. And I leave it to you what Alice will do. Um, when Quinton and Elliot are talking about Fillory and the waterfall there, I put some uh, pictures on the Facebook page. It was Chetwin's torrent, and you can see on the map where it exactly is. And in previous podcasts, we talked about whether this map will come back. Well, the map didn't come back yet, but at least one of the locations in Fillory. Okay, last thing. I tried to do a voice comparison between Plover's voice from episode 9 and the beast that we hear at the beginning of this episode when they try to do the spell and they all die and the voice that Penny always hears to find out if Plover is the beast and also to find out if the voice that Penny hears in his head is really also the beast. We assume that, but I'm not completely sure that's the case. 1. Plover from episode 9 some things just aren't fair. We can't make sense of them. Let's have tea, hmm? Come on. Us left behinds ought to stick together. Oh, I have the best news. I am so close to figuring it all out. Wild magic. Too strong to do with human hands. I'll have to grow another finger. <laughs> Can you imagine? Two. The Beast in this episode. You think you're hiding, don't you? And from episode 5, where Penny is in this dungeon with Victoria, the other traveler that disappeared from Breakbills. You sound talkative today, Victoria. Are you ready to talk? I can wait all day. Three, the voice in Penny's head. She bleeds so easily, poor little thing. I barely touched her. You can end it. Shut up. Just end it. Shut up. Oh, shut the hell up. From this, I get the impression that the beast and plover sounds more or less the same. But I'm very doubtful if the voice in Penny's head is the same. Well, we just have to be patient and find out. Unless you have encountered a spoiler. One other thing I noticed when I went back to earlier episodes to find these audio fragments. I noticed when the beast is pulling out the eyes of Dean Fogg and he puts them on the table that the hands of this beast are quite young. And don't look like the hands of somebody with plover's age. Okay, that was all for now. Till next time, two episodes to go and then we go into dark. Greetings, all the best, Fred from the Netherlands. Okay. All right, so, so the one thing I want to mention, you know, that, that Fred points out that Quentin says 
you know that's not how it works. Giving a shit about someone that you give a shit about doesn't just evaporate the second that they fuck up. And, and Fred mentions that he really had to listen again to hear that. And you know, I mentioned that a few minutes ago in the discussion. And I, I think that's what they're all going to have to come to terms with, that because of the environment that they're in, they're not perfect. You know, they're young people. They're in their early 20s. And stuff happens, you know, they're new to relationships that if they're going to, you know, hold a grudge over everything that somebody does, you know, look at every little offense as, as this major deal, then you're really going to have a difficult time. And, and, and again, not that Quentin's not thoughtful, but I really thought it was important that he articulates it that way. It is important for Katie and Penny and Julia and Alice, I mean, if there's any hope for those relationships, they're, they're going to have to come to those terms. Mm-hmm. And, and then, you know, she seems to be tearing up, as he points out. Uh, why? You know, I mean, right. Exactly. Because like in her truth moment, she told Penny she doesn't like him. Right. Or she uh, gets maybe she said she didn't love him, but that she was using him. So like why all the emotion like you don't like the guy katie well i guess it could be guilt over using him i mean let's not so sure well, i don't know it just seem yeah I, I agree i i was wondering why she seemed so upset well and and i also think it could be one of those deals where it starts out that she's using him and that as she spends more time with him she really does develop affection for him and maybe she doesn't love him yet but it's maybe on that path and she's you know tearing up because the recognition that we could have had something but i screwed everything up so yeah i mean it really is i don't want to say the most complex relationship because obviously quentin and alice is pretty complex as well well, especially now uh, yeah Right. Um, but yeah, you're right. It's, it is pretty complex. So yeah, it is. You can't just dismiss human emotions, you know, so easily and everything. So. Right. But I, and I also wonder as Fred does uh, why Quentin really doesn't, I mean, he doesn't even really come close to telling Katie the truth about Penny. You know, he, he has that, that, that uh, line about he can survive a nuclear winter when, you know, he's really in bad shape and and he's certainly done you know a better job than Joe who commits suicide and uh god I can't think of uh, his mentor Stanley we just mentioned Stanley commits suicide and and certainly Penny has not gone that route but uh you know I, I, why he implies that oh he's doing fine I I, I don't understand why he yeah. would not tell her more of the truth but again they've all got a lot going on so i'm i'm reluctant to criticize any of them uh you know the emotions are running high and then of course you know the whole idea of uh, bottling up your emotions and then you know <laughs> putting them back is, is certainly uh you know, a, a really big deal. Uh fred gave us a lot of great screen caps as well and including uh um, Elliot and Quentin getting very drunk, and then oh, course, hold on, we we got addressed. With- he asked um, what Margaret says. We're stuck with our dicks in our hands, and he asked if that was a, a slang that that women say. 
No, no, I don't think any women say that at all. That's just generally a guy's thing, you know, to. Well, you know, I, I wonder, again, it's not that I've heard a woman say that, but, you know, w- one thing that I always find interesting, and I, I know you hear it at school all the time, w- girls are talking to each other, referring to each other as dude. Right. Right? Yeah. Yeah. And, and so I wonder if it's just maybe an extension of something like that. No, I mean, it is, it's, it's definitely a, uh, you know, it, it is a saying in English and most famously uh, in The Godfather, right? Where Sully says, I don't want my brother coming out of there with, with just his dick in his hand, suggesting a being powerless, you know, like a moment of exposure and powerlessness. Um, okay. So. Now, Fred asks us for our prediction about Alice's reaction. Uh, I think she's going to take her clothes off and jump in bed with them. That would be awesome, but I don't think that's going to happen. No, I don't <laughs> think so either. Uh, I, I think she's basically going to tell Quentin that that's it. Yeah. I, I think she has so much going on. And, and, I, and again, I think the fact that he did not have her back when they were trying to decide what to do earlier on is just another nail in the relationship coffin so uh, yeah i think she's gonna just tell him that's it the fascinating thing going forward is gonna see how they all can work together now that they've got this increased baggage to deal with right right yeah yeah yeah. that that's good that's good because yeah that's that's the thing not only if this relationship breaks up which it totally seems his head that way but they still need to work together, right? Right, sure. So, yeah, we'll right. see. Right now, now Fred asks about the the voice comparisons uh, and what we think about it. I, I mean, I don't know about you, but I, I I don't know. I I didn't have time to go back and you know listen in episode five and and uh, you know the the voice that we hear in this episode seems very adult like. Yeah. Well, so, I, well, I mean, the thing is, it's uh, I, you know he's he's. He's British, obviously, so you know that immediately lends credence to the "it's plover," you know, theory, which is right. again, I said the only problem with that theory is that the show itself is pushing that so much that it's clearly not, you know, right? Like they're right. They're, and, and, they go on. and I was just going to say, a lot of time has elapsed. I would think, right? Isn't this? taking place like in the 40s or 50s with plover and all that so um you know maybe a little later than that but still a lot of time has elapsed so um but yeah like you said i mean it's it's too obvious to be true so you know and then he's got the image of the uh the beast's hands where as he says a little young in episode one to be plover's hands so well, I'm uh, telling you, it's definitely and, not Plover, man. I mean, I'm not just saying that because I accidentally saw who it was. I'd be saying this anyway. It's definitely not. Like, any time a show is leading you down a path like this, you know that's not the path it's going to be. It's going to be someone right, surprising right. and dramatic and ironic. Right, right. And uh, it's none of those. So, uh, all right. Anything else about Fred's feedback you want to mention? I don't know. Good screen caps. I think As always. Yeah. Okay. Oh well, he talks right, about the, the Netherlands there with Pierce Stuyvesant. Stuyvesant is still part of a uh, neighborhood in New York City and everything. So, but yeah. uh, 
Yeah, early early New York history. Uh, there there was a Dutch presence there for sure before they uh, sold it to the English. All right. Well, we'll go ahead and leave it there. Thank you, Fred, for your feedback. And uh, that's going to do it for this episode of Sci-Fi TV Rewatch. We want to thank you for joining us. Love to hear what you think about the magicians. Uh, don't forget, Dark is only weeks away now Woo-hoo. at this point. Encourage you to join the Facebook group. Share your thoughts with the Sci-Fi TV Rewatch community. If you're already a member, spread the word. Emails go to Sci-Fi TV Rewatch at gmail.com. Voicemails via the SpeakPipe tab, which you can access through the website. We'll be back next week to continue our discussion of the magicians with season one, episode 12, titled 39 Graves. But until then. You know, it's so funny as my kids get older, I can finally like just sit down with them and say, you know, kids, I've done things that would make you hide under a blankie. <laughs>